Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. We're going to be talking a little bit about the game before Notre Dame's next game um, as the Irish head down to Georgia next week. Matt, before we get into the show, I just want to take a moment to pat myself on the back for predicting a 54-point win uh, when Notre Dame ended up winning by 52 points, 66-14 over New Mexico yesterday. Well, if you were playing Price is Right rule, you were the loser, my friend. I picked them to win by 35, and it was, I think, a 31-point uh, margin at halftime. And I can't say I tuned in for much of the second half because I still had a headache from uh, the geniuses, genii uh, at NBC who decided to make the broadcast uh, a roller coaster of uh, camera, emotions, events, you name it. Uh, I called it the worst idea in the history of sports television. I will hear no further argument, uh, but I'm on to Georgia. How about you, Pete? Yeah, I think that's fair. It was kind of one of those moments where staring into the sun from the ninth level of Notre Dame's press box was actually a better <laughs> view than the viewer at home, um, which I have never been able to say before. Yeah, that, that camera angle, I'm, I have not watched the TV copy yet, but I'm sort of uh, fearing the worst. I put up a Twitter poll during the game. And I believe it was 86% no, 14% yes in terms of the uh, NBC's new camera angle. I would like to meet that 14% (laughs) yes because that's 14% more than the people I heard from in an unofficial poll where it was just me complaining on Twitter. My math said that was like Uh, 500 people was 14%. I'm I'm shocked by those numbers. I had multiple people say I turned it off and listened to the radio broadcast. And if they did, I hope they listened to our friend Ryan Harris, and I hope he was plugging the Shamrock because he was a great guest on our paid episode subscribers last Thursday, <laughs> as we'll have another guest this upcoming Thursday. But, uh, I mean, there were people, I mean, I'm looking through the mentions now. It completely ruins uh, ruins this for someone who does nothing but look forward to the Saturdays. It's a ploy to get people to actually go to the games again. This view is ridiculous. Uh, it's not the angle that's bad. It's the constant, constant jittery movement of the moving camera and the fact it's not level at any point. Um, the camera angle is horrible. It's making me queasy and hurt my eyes. I couldn't tell who made the tackle till after the play and what the heck was going on. Very hard to understand how people who make a lot of money think this is good. That was one uh, full tweet without any punctuation whatsoever. And shockingly, <laughs> it was by a guy with an egghead as an avatar. Um, but he, I think he speaks for a lot of people. I mean, it was not good. Yeah, it was... <laughs> The replays in the press box looked pretty rough. Um, you know, I think you tweeted out the Javon McKinley touchdown, which is maybe something relevant to talk about in football terms, but it, it just <laughs> looked like kind of this pinball spinning around. You didn't know. I don't know. It's it kind of like an action. I don't know. It's kind of like a Jason Bourne cut-up. Um, a lot of hard edits. and uh, <laughs> Bla- Blair Witch what Project was mixed next. with America's Got Talent was a text I got from an Notre Dame friend. Um, it, it was all over the place. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to sort of see what moves for. I mean, can you imagine if this was Michigan last year and they just rolled that out? Good God. <laughs> At least it was New Mexico. It'd be really hard to track Brandon Wimbush's throws with that camera, oh, by the way. <laughs> Probably would have hit the camera one time. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Notre Dame moving forward to Georgia. You know, you watched from your couch. I was up in the press box. It was, it was a strange game because you felt like Notre Dame did some things that I think will help them against Georgia, things that they needed to clean up. I mean, our, our post-podcast after Louisville, I think we sort of looked at that performance and like, whoa, this is not good enough to go down to Athens and, and mm-hmm. be competitive or win. Notre Dame did some things on Saturday that I thought would be good enough to go down to Athens and be competitive and, and maybe upset Georgia. That said, um, Notre Dame is still far from a perfect team. And you know, Brian Kelly, I, I think, used they were not a finished product yet again. And, you know, I think the players know that for all the steps forward, they, 
they took, they're they're going to need to take equal numbers of steps forward, if not more, next week in Athens to have a chance. So, like, what what did it look like to you at home in terms of how Notre Dame was different in their second game versus their first? Much more confident, uh, much looser, uh, you know, with a week off and, and having gotten all the first game jitters out of their out of their system. I think it was a, a team that was just going out there and playing football. It wasn't worrying about how it looked. It wasn't uh, worried about, you know, dictating pace or tempo or anything like that. They, they, they just looked like a team that stared its opponent on the other side of the field, knew that it was an overmatch opponent, and went out there and just dominated the way it, it should have dominated. Um, I think from that standpoint, you know, for Ian Book – not the perfect game, but you look at that stat line, 360 yards on just 24 attempts, five touchdowns, no picks. Uh, I think you have to be happy and confident that, that he got that good game back in his system uh, after two you know, not great games uh, dating back to the Cotton Bowl of last season, and, and he's got to feel good about himself uh, going into Georgia this weekend. I'll say this, the, the running game does concern me, especially oh, yeah. coming up against that Georgia defense. I mean, 38 carries for a net of 188 yards. Uh, you gotta do better than that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's actually it's worse. I know they, yeah, it's thirty eight carries man. for a net yeah. one fifty seven. Um, one fifty. Oh, no, one fifty. Right. Yeah, because okay. they lost thirty one. Uh, yeah, so at it's the Notre Dame box score. Their their rush offense right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're they're forty ninth nationally in yards per carry. Um, the Ian Book stat line is is kind of interesting and a bit a bit off because you know where he fits. He's third in the country in yards per attempt, fifth in passer efficiency. But he's 82nd in total yards and 72nd in completion percentage, which is sort of runs counter to what made him good last year, how mm-hmm. accurate he was. But, you know, for I think the, the offense did a lot of really good things. Um, they got Javon McKinley and Avery Davis involved. They found some new wrinkles in Chip Long's playbook with the shovel pass that Davis scored on um, that really kind of removed all doubt from the game. It was a, it was a beautiful play call, and – even if it's something that they don't run at Georgia or don't even um, think about attempting at Georgia, it's at least something that Georgia has to prepare for because it's not its not something that they even got into at Louisville after Jafar Armstrong got hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the kind of play that I think Jafar Armstrong would have run last, if, last week if he was healthy. Um, and I think he's talented enough to, to make that work against higher-end teams. Is Avery Davis? I don't know, but um, – it's, it's at least something that can work with. To me, the biggest concern for Notre Dame going to Georgia is the run defense because that is – that is – that's not close to where it needs to be um, to be, I think, even competitive at Georgia. Um, they're, they're, the way their run defense is shaping up right now, they could get plowed off the field. Yes. I mean, if you could switch the Georgia and Michigan games uh, in uh, this utopian ideal world, I think that would be really good for Notre Dame just because, again, we knew these linebackers and uh, this rush defense was going to need some time to, 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 to get up to speed. And uh, there's not no real great way to, to, to get ready for a Georgia team that might win the national championship this year uh, in your third game of the season. Uh, but the, the other thing with Georgia that I just think – you know, gets so much overlooked is Jake Fromm's really, really good. Like, we never really talk about this guy the way we do with Trevor Lawrence or a Tua Tagovailoa, but, I mean, you know, he went into Notre Dame Stadium in his first career start as a true freshman two years ago and won, 
and he had a great year last year. And this year, I mean, he's completed 42 of 56 passes for 601 yards uh, and five touchdowns. And he's just looked so efficient, so calm, and so sharp doing it. And when you have a, a passer who can lead an offense like that and who could take some pressure off the line in the run game, I mean, that really stretches a defense. And as you just said, with Notre Dame, that run defense is a question. But uh, you know, I, I'd be almost as worried as I am about Jake Fromm because I think he's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I just think that Jake Fromm is good for many reasons. One, he's talented. But the biggest reason is that he can play off the run game that he has. That is mm-hmm. outstanding. Um, you know, it's I don't know if I want to draw this comparison or not, but when Andrew Luck was at Stanford, you know, statistically he was not slinging it all over the place, but he just fit so perfectly with what Stanford wants to do. And I think Jake Fromm is at least similar in that way where he's a very talented quarterback, but then it's his talents are accentuated by the style of offense that Georgia plays. They're averaging, I, I think they're fifth nationally yards per carry at 7.61 um, yards per attempt and I realize they haven't played necessarily anybody yet but I don't think I would look at Notre Dame and say they've played anybody yet either and, and their run defense is, is toward the bottom I think they're 120th nationally in, in rushing yards allowed per game at 230 so it's a I mean the linebacker position rotated even more yesterday than it did at Louisville Bo Bauer, Bauer got some reps in the middle they played three different middle linebackers and I think they played three different buck linebackers. Um, they rotated at Rover with Jeremiah Usukormoa and Paul Moala. Um, it's difficult for me to see Notre Dame having an efficient run defense when you're playing four or five different combinations of linebackers. They went really deep on the defensive line too. I think, I think that's more of a positive for the long haul. But um, I just can't look at Notre Dame's run defense right now and, and feel like they're going to hold up in Athens. It just they haven't they haven't shown enough that makes me think that that's going to work. Even though the secondary, you know, forced three turnovers. Notre Dame is first nationally in turnover margin, um, but man, that that front seven has to get a ton cleaned up this week. Yeah, I'm less concerned about the number of bodies they're playing so much as just you know what they don't know about themselves yet. I think the more you can put on film for Georgia to prepare, prepare for this week, the better. But yeah, I'm with you, and I almost wonder at this point, and it sounds pretty negative just the way we've kind of led into uh, this podcast trying to preview this game and the way probably most fans have, have thought about this game based on the product they've seen on the field so far this season. I mean, have we been talking about this game in the wrong way in the sense of like – is it will this be a close game rather than will it be a blowout or or, or was it does Notre Dame actually have a chance to win this because I, I don't want to put Georgia on a pedestal just yet they still haven't won a national title under Kirby Smart for all the accolades they've gotten so far but I, I mean just looking at the games on paper looking at what we've seen from both teams so far uh, hearing what I've heard out of the Goog dating back really to camp I, I just have a really hard time seeing you know barring a crazy injury or freak play. Notre Dame having a legitimate chance to pull this thing off. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll they'll need something kind of out of character for it to work. And, I mean, that happens. It's, you know, you look back at 2014, I think. You know, they they come out against North Carolina, and I think they it was like 50 to 43 in overtime. And you're thinking, like, how in the world are they going to go to Florida State and do anything? Um, they're just going to get played off the field. And that was an incredible game that Notre Dame could have and should have won 
at the very end. So it's uh, you know Brian Kelly has been good in these spots. He hasn't been in these spots a lot um, where Notre Dame is a huge underdog, but when they have been, he's figured out a way to put together a game plan that that has really surprised some people, and then you know it makes people like us think like, well, wait a minute, did I just misread this team entirely? Um, they were huge underdogs when they went to Oklahoma, and they were coming off, I believe, a three-point win against BYU at home the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they went to Clemson with Deshaun Kaiser in his first road start after struggling against Virginia, playing well against Georgia Tech, um, almost won down there. So, you know, it's like Notre Dame in a big spot on the road. While they have not won a lot of these games. Um, the Miami type performance, which I, you know, you look on Twitter and people are like, "Oh, it's going to be Miami all over again." I don't, right? I don't see that's ha- that happening. I think Notre Dame's coaching staff is too talented and too creative to uh, let the game get away from them. I just, I think that they're going to have to accommodate their run defense with play calling, with special teams, um, with sort of their general approach. Maybe how they play Georgia's receivers, which are very young and inexperienced. Um, they're, they're going to have to gamble defensively in the front seven, maybe make it a front eight in some ways that, um, you know, maybe more than what they thought when the season started. But I, I'm, I think for anyone, hopefully no one listens to this podcast and think like Pete and Matt think Notre Dame has no chance to win at Georgia. Um, but just some things are going to have to happen that have not happened so far in this very young season, uh, I think, for Notre Dame to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to split hairs too much. Yeah, that, that that Oklahoma win was monumental, obviously, in, in route to the, the BCS championship game that year. But I, I, I don't think I think Notre Dame was a better football team than Oklahoma that year when all was said and done. I just don't think that was a really tough team defensively uh, on the Sooners. Uh, the Clemson game, I, I'm pretty sure that was a pick 'em going in. Clemson at that point had not become the the, the Goliath that they ended up turning into by the end of that la- by the end of that season and, and every season since then. In the Florida State one, I mean, that was I, I mean. That was the game that really surpri- uh, pleasantly surprised me, I guess you could say, from the Notre Dame standpoint of, yeah, I thought they were going to get killed, especially after that North Carolina game. And that was a game that they basically had won. Um, but Florida State, as we found out, ended up playing that way pretty much every single game that season and, and won every game by three or four points and then eventually got exposed when they played Oregon in the playoff that year. I don't say that to take away from Notre Dame, but I do think this is – a different beast. This is a different animal. I mean, none of these guys have played in an SEC environment before. Um, this is a program, Georgia, that's recruiting as well as anyone in the country right now, um, and that has probably been chomping at the bit for a non-conference opponent like this, especially after last season. I thought the the, the conversation or the argument or whatever you want to call it uh, was a load of garbage, frankly. But you know, there were Georgia people, Georgia players, tweeting during the playoff. Oh, we should have been in. We're better than Notre Dame. Blah blah blah. Maybe they were. I don't know. But when you lose two games and one of them by 20 points, I think you lose all. all Did they right tweet complain, during the Sugar Bowl think, at all or no? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I just I want to make sure. They're the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> but I do think this is a game that, um, you know, th- there is a lot of pride at stake here when you're talking about um, college football, uh, the regionalization of it, uh, SEC versus Independence or Midwest or however you want to describe Notre Dame. I mean, there are a lot of people who down south who, who – think that they own the playoff like there should be three or even four teams from that part of the country in it every single year and what better way to go out and prove that that should be the case than uh wiping the floor with an Notre Dame team that made it in over you last year there's I I think you there's some merit to what you're saying even as you uh throw a bucket of cold water on this podcast but 
It's um, <laughs> there. Notre Dame's first trip to Georgia, I think, is a real thing. Um, you know, I think playing an SEC opponent maybe is not um, from Notre Dame's perspective, but I think Georgia getting a first shot at Notre Dame is something because you're right. It's like the first trip down there. Um, you know, the point to prove after the playoff last year. I mean, sir, G- Georgia was sort of sticking his chest out after the SEC championship game that they deserve to be in. Um, and I get, I get all that. I get all that. It's, uh, it's going to be a crazy environment down there. I, you know, from Notre Dame's perspective, how are they going to handle that stage? I'm, I guess I'm curious about it, but I, I don't, I don't sit here and feel like, you know, this is going to, there's going to be some Miami hangover, uh, part two type stuff happening because, you know, and to be fair, I didn't think that that was what happened at Miami was going to happen before Miami either. But mm-hmm. I just think Notre Dame has sort of trained and conditioned itself to to hang in these types of environments um, a little bit better than you know maybe they did that one time in Miami. And it's um, you know for for some of Notre Dame's flaws, whether that be the run game not being as efficient as it needs to be, um, their third down offense is is pretty poor right now. I believe they were one of ten yesterday against New Mexico, which is, you know, just not a not a really good place to be. Um, they still have Ian Book. And, you know, you, we talked about it earlier in the show, and maybe we can get back into it a little bit, is just he took a pretty big step forward yesterday. But I also I, – I think that step forward was sort of in concert with offensive coordinator Chip Long having a little bit better handle on like how his quarterback was playing and how to accentuate how New Mexico was trying to defend it. Um, I thought those shovel passes were really smart. Um, you know, Ian Book at least tried to push the ball down the field a little bit more. Uh, and I think they, they, they got more out of Chris Fink. And I think, you know, the, the Javon McKinley, Avery Davis stuff was good too. I just, I came out of the weekend thinking Notre Dame has more weapons and then they'll get Cole Komet back on top of that. And yeah, they, they absolutely will need all of that going down to Georgia, but I think that's that's where Notre Dame should probably be encouraged uh, coming out of the weekend. Yeah, it was uh, refreshing, at least from the outside perspective, to hear some of the, the post game comments and, and you know reading your Twitter feed, Twitter feed right now. I mean, Ian Buck, we've been talking about this game for a while. We've been looking forward to it. It's time, uh, Avery Davis. We didn't want to show a whole lot today. I mean, I appreciate the candidness and kind of the blunt nature of. Yeah, this is a really big one. We're not going to shy away from that. We, you know, we've probably been been doing a lot of practice periods in camp about uh, preparing for Athens, preparing for Georgia. So it was good that they were able to kind of get New Mexico out of the way without really sacrificing anything and without playing like it was a game that they didn't really have interest in in spending a whole lot of time on. So I think that's part of it. I think what you said about Ian Book is true. I mean, I, I don't think Notre Dame's going to be overwhelmed by the environment. I, I think, you know, Georgia may play better in that environment because it's their home environment, but I don't think this is going to be a, a situation like the Miami one. The other thing with that Miami game, and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, you know, I don't say this to make excuses, but you talk to people around that program, and uh, they all said, you know, that was a November game. It was the first year of a, a new strength and conditioning program, a new coaching staff. And like, those guys were exhausted, absolutely exhausted by, by the end of last season. And, and that's not going to be the case in a September game. That's not going to be the case when this is year three of this kind of, I don't want to say coaching regime, but but pretty much regime of mm-hmm. everyone outside of Brian Kelly in this program right now. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. But um, I, I do think, you know, personnel-wise, Georgia has uh, better, has recruited better football players than Notre Dame has. They have the home uh 
uh, atmosphere. Uh, I, 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 it's it's a fun. I mean, this is what makes college football fun for me. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I think you probably covered Notre Dame against Tennessee. I've not covered Notre Dame in a true home and home environment with an SEC team other than the home game against Georgia two years ago. But uh, these are the type of games where I, I love talking about them. I love preparing for them. I, I love watching them because you really don't know what's going to happen. And there are so many interesting subplots. Uh, what, one of which, since you said I was throwing cold water on this podcast, I'll, I'll throw one back <laughs> in the face of Georgia. Uh, I do remember our colleague Bruce Feldman on the Audible this year again asked about Kirby Smart and saying something to the effect of, I'm not comparing him to Kirk, to Charlie Wise, but I've never seen a guy get uh, you know so many accolades and rewarded so much for almost beating his rival every year. Um, <laughs> I don't think Kirby's the second coming of Charlie Wise. I think he's closer to the second coming of Nick Saban. Uh, but there is some truth in that too. I mean, hey, if it is close late, is Kirby going to try to outsmart himself with a fake punt or do something stupid like he did the last time he had uh, a close game late uh, in a big game environment? Because uh, make no mistake about it, I mean, you know, Notre Dame probably has to go undefeated every year to make the playoff, and if they lose this game, they're probably going to be out of it, especially if it's by double digits. And in Georgia's case, the East looks horrible. Um, oh, God. They probably really can't bad. afford an SEC loss uh, um, and, and make the playoff unless they were to, to, to beat Alabama or LSU in the SEC title game. So this is a huge uh, check mark in the non-conference lay for Georgia and the SEC as a whole um, if they're able to pull this off. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like a, I don't know, a, like a college football playoff quarterfinal game in a lot of ways. In some ways, yeah. You know, because it's like if ways. Georgia wins, they have a they can absorb a loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. I think that we would agree with that. Um if Notre Dame wins it, I don't know if they can absorb a loss the rest of the way, but man, it would it would put them in a really strong position um, to run the table because this is by far I think the the win probability for this game was like twenty nine percent according to NBC's graphic, um, and then Notre Dame was above fifty percent in every other game the rest of the season. Michigan is obviously listing a little bit, but not nearly as much as USC is uh, in trouble after their loss at BYU. (laughs) And Stanford is just a hot mess all of a sudden. Um, Or Virginia Tech. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, You know, it's like in Virginia, are they good? I think so, but Florida State is so bad, should you really need that kind of performance to beat them at home? Um, Pete, I said this this on the Andy Staples podcast last night. I said, what's it say about the state of the ACC in Florida State that Virginia just beat Florida State by seven? And my reaction is, wow, they didn't even cover against Florida State. I mean, yeah. it's just things have been flipped on their head in the ACC. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit odd right now. But again, it's just like sort of Notre Dame's conference or no, Notre Dame's conference schedule. Notre Dame's schedule, <laughs> sort of, it, it looks a little bit different every week. And while Georgia, I think, has only looked more and more daunting um, as the season is in its early days, I think the rest of it has looked maybe a little bit easier and it's like I, I don't want to write this game off at all because I cannot wait to get down there and see the environment and I, I expect Notre Dame to play well but if Notre Dame loses at Georgia and then they run the table the rest of the way and they don't make the playoff that is still a really 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 good season without qualification yes. at all um, so I think for for again it's like Notre Dame's gonna have to do some things um, that are going to be out of the ordinary to win at Georgia. I think that's okay. That's that's what happens when you go on the road to a national championship contender, but that doesn't mean they can't do it. And I think that that's sort of the big question is like, what are those things? How do they get those points across? It really, I think it really falls to Chip Long and Clark Lee to have, uh, you know, two of their best game plans that they have really ever put together uh, next Saturday night. 
I mean, we talk a lot about perception. Fans talk a lot about perception. I would be shocked if people inside that building didn't at least, you know, read and pay attention to a lot of that, whether it affects them or not, I'm not sure. But, you know, every time, you know, Notre Dame loses in the playoff to Clemson last year, they lose in the championship game to Alabama a few years ago, neither game close. And you get all this, ah, oh, this is, you know, they're overrated. They don't play anyone. This is why they should join a conference, blah, 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 blah. They can make all of that go away if they win at Georgia this week. And I don't think that's nothing. Uh, no, no, uh, no, that's it is huge. That not, is a big, big deal. Ex- Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, there, there are recruiters down south who every time Notre Dame loses to a Clemson or Alabama on a big stage, point to some of the prospects Notre Dame is going after and say, this is what happens when they play players from this part of the country. This is why you should come to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Florida State, you name it. Um, they can make a lot of that go away uh, with a win this weekend. And that's that is huge, even if they don't end up making the playoff this year. I think that is huge from a program standpoint because uh, people outside of the Midwest, people outside of Notre Dame country, which I know is technically the entire United States, don't <laughs> the really. entire globe, Matt. <laughs> entire globe, I'm sorry. Yeah, can't forget that Dublin game. Uh, they don't take Midwest football seriously. They don't take Notre Dame seriously. They go 12-0, and 0 and they say, well, look who they played. And, and whether there's some merit to that or not in a case like last season, um, it's really hard to win every game. I don't care who you're playing. If it was that easy, more teams would do it. And Notre Dame has done that twice under Brian Kelly. And if they're able to go into one of the most daunting environments in the country and, and knock off the Bulldogs, I mean, I, I don't know what else you could really say against Brian Kelly and his program at that point. I mean, it is a tremendous opportunity. And I know the way we're talking about it is almost like they're playing with house money here. And I'll be very curious to, to hear when it's all said and done how Brian Kelly and that coaching staff is telling or selling this game, this opportunity to their players behind the scenes, because there's no getting around what a massive opportunity it is. Yeah. It's without question, regardless of where the season goes, I think, you know, unless it just like went off the, went off the rails a little bit. If they, they win at Georgia, it will be the biggest win of the Brian Kelly era, bigger than Oklahoma in 2012. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I realize the stakes only got bigger because they went to the national championship game that year. And I think really, you know the biggest win since Florida State in '93. You know, I, there there haven't been a whole lot of moments probably. like this for Notre Dame. They haven't won a major bowl game since that. Yeah, year, I mean, so, so I mean, I would we're, think we're that's pushing 30 that. years. Um, this would be the biggest win since. So, it uh, it it's an, just an incredible opportunity for Notre Dame to go down there. It's you know sort of what you said. It's you know this is kind of one of the reasons that it's great to cover college football is these games come around and you get to cover them. Imagine what it's like to actually play in them or coach in them. Right. Um, you know, I think that the, the players and the coaches are, are <laughs> they have a hell of a lot more at stake than we do. But uh, it's just the environment's going to be awesome. And you know, as much as I think Coach Brian Kelly has said this before, you know, like this this is the kind of game you come to Notre Dame to play in. He's absolutely right about this one. I mean, this is this is a huge huge opportunity for Notre Dame, and I I think that you're right. If if they get the job done in Athens, it's sort of a perception changer for Notre Dame. It's maybe a perception changer for football in the Midwest. Um, it would just be a massive, massive statement that Notre Dame could make. Pete, we save our predictions for Thursday, but as we record this, there's still no official line on this game. I want to predict the line. You first. Ooh, uh, I was just looking up that Florida State line. That was nine and a half. Notre Dame was a dog. I think that they were 10 points at Oklahoma in 2012. Um, I feel like they're going to be 
I'll go 11 point, 11 and a half points. Wow. I think it's going to be a double digit line. Guys, his Twitter handle is at Pete Sampson underscore. <laughs> I'm supposed to promote that at I the end of the show, not you. George- <laughs> I was going to say Georgia eight, eight and a half. Okay. Uh, now I, 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 I could obviously see it, you know, getting uh, bigger uh, throughout the week, but uh, I, I am genuinely curious to see how this turns out, how the, the, the handicappers look at this one, because you know, you get to the eight eleven range, it, it sounds bad. And, you know, I've seen some games that aren't that close that end with that kind of final score. But if it's a one-possession line, if it's a one-possession game, I think we're going to have a very fun Saturday night on our hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it for our Sunday episode of The Shamrock. We'll be back on Thursday with our bonus episode for subscribers to The Athletic. We are efforting to make sure that we get – Seth Emerson, the Georgia beat writer for The Athletic, on that show. Uh, and he is as close and plugged in around Georgia as anybody. So I, you, it will be an education both for Matt and myself and our listeners, of course. So we'll be back on Thursday with that bonus episode for subscribers to The Athletic. As always, you can rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple iTunes, wherever you're listening to your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Pete Sampson underscore, as Matt has already noted. And then, of course, you can follow Matt as well, at Matt underscore Fortuna. So until our next bonus episode, I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Shamrock. Hey there, listeners. Some exciting news from The Athletic and our podcast space. We're launching The Lead with our friends at Wondery, and it's a brand new daily sports show that I think you're going to like. Here's the deal. The Athletic will be the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage down to the hometown. The biggest picture to the smallest view. And with the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers across the globe, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you some of the sports news that you love to read about on The Athletic. It will get up close, personal, every weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead and subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. It's all free, so you don't need to miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you straight there. Plus, you can check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read some of the f- stories that the lead will be featuring every day. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a that. The lead. Sports up close.